I'm sorry, Amber. I don't need it. What are you gonna have some? Lex, cool it. We have to know, don't we? But we're not gonna make her take anything. Look at her. She's dying and she won't help us or herself. Welcome to episode 43 of Conversation with Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining me in the podcast panel today is Maggie. Hi. Carlin. Hello. And Liz. Hello. With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So episode 43, the screenplay was done by Lon Wright. It was directed by Julian McSweeney. And the episode synopsis we read out by Liz. Amber, Bray, Lex and Dal are trapped inside the lab at Hope Island with little time to escape before full decontamination of the facility is initiated. Elsewhere, Tysan's symptoms worsen, despite her regular meditation, and Chloe stumbles upon a discovery about KC that could mean the end for the tribe's pet pig. Okay, so let's jump um, straight into the cliffhanger. So as the Hope Island security system counts down to complete facility shutdown, Lex reasons that there wouldn't be a warning if there was no way to stop it, and rallies the troops. Um, yeah, Panel, what did you think of Lex's logic and his loyalty to the tribe in the face of external threats, as opposed to how he usually behaves back in the mall? I liked getting a chance to see um, Lex's skill set being used for the good of the tribe, because up mm -hmm. until now, you really haven't been able to see what he can really bring. But it's just like when you went to the tribal gathering and you got to see, okay, like, this is, this is Lex in the dark, you know what I mean? Um, when his instincts kick in, uh, it was just nice. It was I really enjoyed how well he and the group work together. And it's not a surprise because he's already proven to us he can work with his group and be productive yeah. with his group. It was just, it was great. It was mm -hmm. like, yes, we need more of this. Is more of it coming out? You know, it's, it's just, it was really nice. I liked it a lot. I did too. I enjoyed it. It was nice seeing him not necessarily take charge, but doing what he knew needed to be done and not questioning it. You could have, he could have freaked out like Dal did, you know, but he didn't. And I think it goes back to what we were saying in a few, you know, pa our past episode about him showing his loyalty to the tribe, you know, and that was just the start of it. And it just keeps going from here on out. I agree. I think Lex has a lot of street smarts and is intelligent in his own way, but it just comes as a shock to people because he has such poor, uh, communication skills and is not really a people's person um but yeah i mean when i first watched it i was a little bit surprised mostly because i just thought of lex as only uh, a jerk but this made me see uh, a little bit of a new light in him and kind of made me had hope <laughs> for his character yeah there's survivalist in lex mm -hmm. you know and it's not just self-motivated because no he could have just said, well, I'm out. You know, yep. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So I do like that. You could, you know, not, you could argue, oh, he's only doing this because he needs to find the antidote, which that's true. Everybody, all of us are selfishly motivated on some level, you know. Um, but I, you expect, when you go on this trip, you are expecting Lex to be an issue on it. Mm -hmm. You are. Let's just face it. You're expecting him to complain, 
bitch about stuff, but you're, you know, it's just a lovely surprise to watch him contribute to solving the problems, thinking yes. so quickly on his feet when his, his group is kind of at a loss, like, crap, what do we do? He's the one who's he went like, straight for common sense. You right. Know? He's like, we break out of this building. Yes. That's what we do. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I love when Dal's like, what do you think that countdown is for? They're sucking out the air. He's like, we wouldn't bother having a countdown if there wasn't a way for us to beat this system, buddy. It's we're yep. not out. It's not over, you know, and I, I just love it because it once again, this trip reminds you how necessary each one of them was for the trip. Every like it wouldn't have worked if what like if Bray hadn't gone or Amber hadn't gone or Dal hadn't gone or Lex hadn't gone or even if Bob hadn't gone. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them was necessary for this trip to work. And, um, yeah, it's just freaking awesome to see Lex mm -hmm. at his best. <laughs> yes. I'm still not convinced about Bob, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die on this hill. <laughs> poor good doggo. He nearly got everyone blown up. And then <laughs> I, I actually realized that Amber was going to grab the bag. <laughs> she could have easily just grabbed it. And then Bob kind of just cut her off. And just grabbed it himself. He's a good doggo. He's a good dog. He's like, look, if anyone's going to sacrifice themselves, it's going to be me. me. I can do it faster than you, first of yes. all. Okay. And I want the frick out of this building. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you humans aren't getting me killed. Let's go. Both Amber and Bray were fussing about which one of them should get it and who should jump back in the room. And Bob's like, it. screw you, Bray. Screw it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And for all you know, Bob going through the minefield is actually what saved them. One, he yes. doesn't weigh as much as them. He also has four feet, which was able to distribute his weight, which is why he didn't end up stepping on any of the mines. So Bob going Not through the minefield, <laughs> it cleared a path. It cleared a path for him. It did, and it let him know that, hey, hey there Bob was a minefield there. It no, must be safe. It was Lex that cleared a path. <laughs> But no, only because Lex. he was throwing a stick for Bob. Lex yeah. didn't clear path. Lex had to stay in place while both Bray and Dal crawled on the ground looking for the mine. Save his life because he so haphazardly just walked. Yup. You leave uh, Bob alone. Yes. <laughs> Don't you dare. Yeah, Bob was MVP. I'm the best member of the tribe. <laughs> <laughs> the only one who never caused any problems. How dare you, Carly? Oh. <laughs> no, he's right. They should be back by now. You lot are crazy. They'll be back. Has anyone seen Tyson? She's in her room. Do you want to go check if she wants some lunch? Can't have her wasting away. I mean... You mean losing her appetite? Let's go back to the mall because the rest of the mall rats are struggling to cope with the virus in many different ways. Um, we have Ryan abusing the food stash by making large meals in an attempt to get his mind off of the virus. We have Zandra convinced that the others won't be coming back. And after explaining to Chloe and Patsy the initial stages of the virus, it becomes painfully clear that Tyson isn't suffering from just a flu, especially when she collapses in front of everyone. Um, yeah, panel, it's this scene where we see Jack run for the hills and a reluctant Ryan forced to help her. Um, yeah, how do you think about how everyone reacted and everyone's mental health? I'm not surprised Jack ran at all. And I felt so sorry for Ryan in that instance. He knew he had to help, but he didn't want to. And I don't blame him for not wanting to. I'd be scared, too, I think, if I was in his shoes. Or any of them, you know? I think this is a much better episode for exploring how everyone is feeling at the mall. How they're reacting to this threat. There's nothing they can do. They are helplessly just having to wait for their friends to come back. And 
They can't communicate with them. They don't, they won't know if anything has gone wrong. They won't know if, oh, it's just a delay or our friends have met their ends. They don't know what's at Hope Island. There was a nervousness about going in the first place. And I do feel like this episode actually captures what you do in the face of that hopelessness and uh, much better than the last episode where it was just like, okay, I don't care about what's happening in the mall. This one was much better. They delve into it and explore it. And um, you feel an empathy for what these characters are going through and what they're experiencing and the different ways they're experiencing and um, how it contracts, I mean, contradicts their everyday uh, behavior. Like, you know, Ryan being a very nurturing person, but at the same time, not wanting to care for someone who's sick and contagious with something that could kill him, you know, um, it just makes him more human. Like, yeah, he's not perfectly selfless. <laughs> right. He's, he's a person who's like, I don't want to go anywhere near that. There's a know? limit. Yes. Uh, that fear, the way they're all dealing with their fear, like Zion right. is just leaning into it, mm-hmm. you know, a dark sense of they haven't returned and ryan's running from it like no no no, everything's fine i'm just gonna bury myself in food so i don't have to think about how scared i am you know and yeah i i agree i think this scene really does a good job at showing people needing to have control over something even though subconsciously they know that it's absolutely hopeless so and i think you see that like a lot with Tizan, Jack, and Ryan, especially with Ryan, with him doing just little things around the uh, around the mall, you know, just things that he feels like he's in control of, just to get his mind away, which is very unhealthy uh, to do, and um, and also with Tizan using her uh, herbal medicines and trying to deny that she has the virus and stuff of that nature yeah i think that's the best way to put it needing to be in control of something and especially in the face of having no idea what's happening to their friends and if they're even going to return and how long it would take them to do this journey and the panic you don't want it to set in but there it is just on your shoulder like they're not back yet you guys are screwed this was your only you know chance to be saved and yeah, you need to do something, anything that makes you feel like you're in control, even a tiny bit. Because otherwise, you're just waiting for the world to end. Yep. And I feel like that's what Zondra's doing in this instance. Hers is just, okay, well, it's over. This is the end, you know? And like you said, she's delving in and going into that darkness. And lashing out at other people who Yes, and it's, she's it. angry. Yes. Like, don't you get it? It's over. Mm-hmm. You know? and, yep. And it must be, like, just realizing that these kids have already gone through this watching their parents and their teachers and every mm-hmm. authority figure in their life keel over. Like, to be right back in that place, oh my god. It's gotta be terrifying. And this time to have zero information. You know what I mean? You don't have the the news announcements that you had the first time around. Yeah, and even having that information did you no good. I know, but I mean, even then, that's a little bit of, okay, we have, we know something, you know? Like, I'm trying to figure out how I would respond. If I had someone I had to care for, I'd probably respond more like Trudy or Celine yeah. where I'd keep it together because I have to, yeah. you know, but if I didn't have anyone, I, I'm pretty sure I'd go through a Zondra phase or it was just, oh, like, I think I would too. Screw it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just accept your inevitable doom. You idiots. <laughs> yeah. Basically <laughs> over. I don't even know why you're trying. <laughs> 
Oh, man. I mean, she still is, what, a 13, 14-year-old girl, I guess. It's kind of interesting in a way, because she kind of turns into Lex in this episode. Like <laughs> A little bit, yeah. It's weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens when you have uh, such an influence <laughs> on you. <laughs> you can say is that she was do or die for her man. Yep. That's all I got for it, because, oh boy. Okay, on to one of my favorite parts. Um, with all the drama going on back in the mall, Casey easily manages to slip away with her satchel stolen batteries, and we get our first instruction to Tribe Circus and their gambling den. Um, yeah, first question, what was your initial reaction to the setup of that scene? It kind of reminded me of when we first go to the tribal gathering and the world opens up and you can hear it and you can taste it and you can feel it. Like with all this chaos going on and all this craziness happening, with Casey walking into this area, with it just felt right. Like this felt like the tone the world would be taking. It had a end of the world vibe to it. Like, oh, if we're going down, we're going down in flames and we're going to enjoy the ride, baby. Yeah, it just, it felt right. And this is, this is what I would picture some people. This is how they would embrace the end of the world, you know? So I, I, yeah. I liked that you felt like you could touch this place. It felt very real and people just living on the cusp because, hey, it's over and I'm going to go down with my hands in the air, you know? And so colorful. Mm-hmm. That's what I was, I was excited, you know, to see Tribe Circus because it's a, it's not the, you know, you don't get, it's not the atmosphere that you get with the mall rats and the locos, you know, it is colorful and bright and cheerful, but you know, you can feel that there's a vibe to it as well. You know what I mean? Like this is going to be sketchy, <laughs> but it suits Casey. It's a really great distraction from mm-hmm. the end of the world. And it's mm-hmm. got a red pill vibe to it. You know, like you could face reality and try to stave off the inevitable, or you could just take the red pill and roll, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when I first watched it, I absolutely love that scene because one, it was, uh, like you all mentioned, it was very colorful and very vibrant. But when that music plays during the show, it just it just makes everything more epic and more exciting. And uh, and initially, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, like I, I, I originally just started thinking about like Star Wars, the Clone Wars of just like like just other characters that you have no idea who they are and them having their own stories and, and going on incredible journeys. And I immediately start looking at every single kid on that street that Casey mm-hmm. was walking by and I'm like, Oh, what's their story? What's their story? And like, who is, who is this guy guarding the door? And it was like so many questions I had. And I don't know, the scene, the scene was incredible, especially with that thing, that guy who had like those long leg uh-huh. <laughs> leg things. Yeah. That was pretty cool. It reminded me and of the fire like, guy in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, that was like, midday and that seemed like it was pretty uh pretty lit so oh yeah i'm sure it was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah i wonder what it's like at night <laughs> oh that'd be something <laughs> wonder just how much the moss Eisley cantina scene was an influence for this because now that you bring up star wars and i'm thinking about that scene i'm like oh my gosh like it, it touched so many young you know so many writers lives when they were children when they first saw it and the vibe of the cantina the music you know just the fact that a fight could break out at any moment someone could lose an arm and then people would just go back to their drinks you know and 
And I'm like, yeah, it really does have that vibe. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> a more yeah. villainous place you wouldn't be able to find you know and yet it's like also very exciting and you don't want to say the wrong thing to the wrong person and while you're there and yeah that's, that's it just brings such a life to everything and who are these people and where are they going and what are their experiences and what are they escaping from yeah yeah it, it definitely gets that kind of vibe and then also just like a uh, a grungy underworld type you know like you kind of have this sense like oh i shouldn't be here or mm-hmm. nothing positive <laughs> is gonna come out of yeah just hanging around here so yeah it was it was really cool really cool to see very sin city yes yep that's it yeah sin city actually you answered my next question which was um yeah what do you think of the timing of introducing this now during the viral storyline um it fit really well mm-hmm. because of that apocalyptic feeling that comes with tribe circus of just it's a bucket list kind of tribe you know what i mean like who cares about tomorrow we won't be here tomorrow and um i just thought this was the right time to meet a tribe like this there doesn't when you meet the locos you know they have a goal they want to take over everything you know they want to be in charge or whatever you don't get that sense from tribe circus there is no goal. <laughs> right. And, and I think this is the perfect time to, you know, meet a group of people like this who are literally living in the moment. And you feel that. You sense it. Like, they, they don't care about what happens to the city. They don't care about being in charge of anything. They don't care about street fights and honor and codes and blah, blah, blah. They are just having a wild time because tomorrow doesn't exist right carpe diem for sure and that is this is the perfect time to bring you know introduce us to a tribe like this when there is no tomorrow promise to our characters they could all drop dead any minute because they have the virus you know yep and someone like kc who's acting out and trying to escape his fear and the atmosphere of the, the, the mall this is the perfect place for him to be running off to. Yep. And pretending that there are no consequences to his actions. You know? I agree. And then the more I look at that scene and then when he goes inside the uh, the gambling den and sees everyone, it kind of now just really makes me uh, think that Top Hat is such a genius for <laughs> putting all of this together. More of a genius than what, what people probably think he is. Probably just like some you know, psychotic maniac, but I think, I think every character on this show has shown a good bit of intelligence because this gambling den is pretty much, it's kind of like its own uh, society, you know, like mm-hmm. even just like with him trading in the batteries, you know, there's, there's rules, there's codes, there's um, their own little currency in a sense. And within that currency and those rules, the people who give them to you control it, which is Tribe Circus. There's no rhyme or reason to it either. Right, right. Like, notice how many times Casey points out that it's not fair. It's like he's entered the labyrinth. It's not fair. There aren't any consistencies to the rule, just that they're the ones who make them up whenever they feel like it. Yeah. You know? And they're like, you got a problem with that? You shouldn't have come to the labyrinth, kid. (laughs) Yep. Right, yeah, and someone should have already told him that the house always wins. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'd think he'd know that. Yeah. 
I mean, okay, let's, let's stick with Casey for a minute. Like, what did you think of him um, gambling Porky? <sighs> what a butthead. That's all I can say. It's not what I want to say, but that's what I'm going to say. I'm not really sure about the motivation to go back and get Porky. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I got. I really don't have anything. I I know that Casey's acting out. I know he's running away from the fear of the reality that everything is going on, and so he's chasing this rush because it feels good and it makes forget. I get all that, but it's like once you get away from the rush and you get back to home and, and your senses kick back in. I don't know. I just. I don't know. It feels like he's determinedly trying to drive off an edge of a cliff so he doesn't have to deal with reality at all. And maybe that's what he's doing. I mean, he's ten, so I. I yeah. I mean, I can't apply that much logic to a 10-year-old in this situation. I, I don't think I would have that much logic going on for me either, so... Yeah, I think, or at least when I watched it for the second time, with him being so young, and him... I don't, I don't think he's ever been in that kind of environment, or at least, at least I, don't, I don't know. I don't think he's been in that kind of gambling environment, like, before the virus. But I think he's kind of uh got a like a gambling addiction a little bit which is like very dangerous and you can kind of see it go like way overboard and i'm getting uh obsessed with it an insight to his upbringing like casey can't cope with what's happening right now so he's coping with it in the same manner that adults he knew did and it mm -hmm. kind of reminded me of like for example harry potter um harry potter didn't cry when horrible things happened to him, terrible things happened. Harry didn't cry, but he was really good at expressing his anger. And the reason why is because that was the one emotion that Dursley's always expressed with him. You know, he wasn't allowed to be sad as a child. He wasn't allowed to express his hurts, but he was the people who raised him always expressed their anger to Harry. That's the one emotion he was really good at expressing when the world got scary and all that stuff. And I was thinking about KC, like, he is reacting like a child who hasn't been taught how to cope with these terrifying emotions by kind of ignoring them and being very reckless. Um, that's what the people who raised him taught him. They, they couldn't keep it together either, which is why Casey's childhood was so questionable and not really written in stone. And we don't really know what we're dealing with with him. Mm -hmm. um, it was a chaotic childhood he had. So it, it really makes sense to me that he's responding in such a chaotic way to all this you know, unknown and fears and what's going to happen and I don't know and I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I agree. He definitely seemed comfortable being there. Yes. Like he was in his element. Complete facility shutdown. Zero hours, five minutes. That's a lot. It's got to be one of these, man. It's no good. We've tried them all. You must have missed one. No. Try shorting them. What? The wires. Hotwire them. Short the wires. What? Hotwire them. Blow the system. Back at Hope Island, um, the group worked together to try and escape. And with Dal about to succumb to a lack of oxygen, they make out in nick of time. Um, as we mentioned before, a heroic Bob rescues the precious vials of what could be the antidote to the virus. Um, yeah, what did you think about the f those final moments of the scenes? And during the like memory hallucinations of an ox oxygen-deprived Dal, did that concern anyone on the panel at all? What did you think? was going to happen i was watching it with someone at the time and i'm like he's suffocating and it made me sad you know um then like 
Bray and, and Lex got it. They they got it, and Lex did what he had to do, you know, to make sure that everyone got out. And I very much like that part. Yeah, I think, I think like, a year ago when I first watched this episode, I was, I, I felt bad for Dale. I was like, oh, no, Dale, no. But then now I watched it today, I was like, uh, I think he's, like, overreacting a little bit. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so much, so, so much of it is mental to the point where he, he just mm-hmm. feels like he, he just can't breathe, whereas right. everyone else is literally just like, what are you doing? <laughs> right, and that's why I said, you know, like, Lex definitely handled the situation so much better than Dal did. Dal freaked out. He lost it. He was hyperventilating, which probably helped, you know, didn't help his breathing. Right, because, yep, that's exactly what it is, because I was thinking, because the the alarm said that it just, sh- it shut all the doors, so the only oxygen they have is what's in there. Mm-hmm. The, the thing's not taking oxygen out, right? Right. Right, okay, so at the most, they would have, like, at least four four to five hours with, with oxygen, so, yeah, I, I think he was just just losing it. A bit. Yeah, he definitely lost his cool. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome to see everyone else kind of uh, do their own thing and kind of uh, yep. band together. Um, it's almost kind of like watching the Avengers <laughs> a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bray and Lex handled business together. That I really liked, you know. Gotta get that bromance going. Yeah, yeah. Although, I, I, I still cringe whenever Bob makes fake dog noises. <laughs> <laughs> Poor but, Bob. But I, what does he I did, do to you? I did smile when I first watched this. When I first watched the episode, when he when he got that the antidote, I was like, "All right, Bob, finally he did something." What a good boy. <laughs> it was just there for moral support, okay? I guess. I mean, moral support. Yes. Bob is the least. Uh, I think he's the least character for moral support out of the <laughs> entire mall rat. He is their their emotional support animal. I'm trying to think. I think Porky would probably have been better. As for like, <laughs> Bro, I'm sure he would have. Pigs are smarter. Yeah. Yeah. Pigs are yeah, pigs are awesome. The way they staged Dal's like hallucination, like, did you think he was going to die? Because the, the way that the show's used memory so far. It's always been people who've died. Like um, The first time I watched it, um, I yeah. thought. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to die. I thought he, he might have, like, faint. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, now we got to carry him out. And but To be fair, I was very young the first time I watched it. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't think he, I didn't think he was going to die. But I did, I did really like that. Um... The little scenes they they clip together of him uh, going back to get his get the medicine, and then he sees the picture of his uh, of his parents, and then he's kind of just like uh, memorizing them, which is super cool because I heard that that's his actual parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I think that's so cool. It makes it, it makes it more personal for me. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, during the escape, like, did it surprise anyone that? Amber came up with the advice to hotwire the system. A little bit, because I figured, you know, maybe if Dal was in his right mind, he could have figured it out. But then again, Lex, I feel like Lex should know. Yes, that's what I was going to go for. Yeah. Like, I feel like Lex has hotwired cars. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, 
good on Amber, but that was a little weird. I think I think Lex would have gotten it if he would have, mm-hmm. you know, knew how to read. <laughs> that maybe. Yeah, he was really going with going through with Bray, like what systems to switch off and stuff. I I feel like he should have done that. I don't know if they, I feel I feel like the writers were just pushing, giving Amber something to do in that moment. I don't think she needed to do that. I, I kind of think it was no. a writer thing. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a writer thing because she wasn't really doing anything else besides looking um, at dale yeah yeah sorry i love the hope island escape so much it's one of my favorite scenes one of my i just think it's so brilliantly shot i mm-hmm. love how the group works together i love how you know lex has to tell ray I, look i can't read yes. I love he puts the situation above his ego you know yes, um yes. it's also another moment of understanding between bray and lex which will tie them together as brothers forever. Yeah, they are mm-hmm. brothers who will never agree on things, but they will forever <laughs> fight on the same side, always. Yep. You know, um, they'll never agree on the method of the fight, <laughs> but they'll always do it together. Um, I love everything about escaping from Hope Island. It's so brilliant. It's oh, Hope Island is probably one of the best storylines they've ever come up with, in my opinion. Um, I, I love the fact that Dal, from the lack of oxygen, like he's affected more than the others, you know, um, and he starts seeing his parents, you know. Did, and you, did you think he was going to die? No. When you first watched it? I don't recall yeah. thinking that he would die. I know, like I said, I did because I was young, like really young the first time I seen it. But to be fair, I didn't, I didn't watch the seasons perfectly in order. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm pretty sure I knew Dal lived to be in the next season when I saw this episode. Yeah. I had no reason to believe he was going to die, but it's still really well done and definitely believable that he won't make it, that one of them isn't going to make it out of the situation. Um, I love watching Lex and Bray work together to try and get that door open. And then it's Dal who says short the wires because they've gone through everything and they can't figure it out. And of course, Lex is the one who would know how to hotwire something. I, oh, and I, I just love the brilliance of Lex being the one to hold the door, stopping Amber. Don't you dare go back in there, Amber. Telling Bray, don't go back in there. Just help me hold the door. I'll get the bag. Yep. Bob saying, no, I'll get the bag. You humans are killing me. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Wither without your help. Oh, it's so well choreographed. Um, everything about the scene is great. I love the Hope Island escape. Whew. Raise a flag in the air. It's perfect. Confetti. Everything to even just the explosion. Like, oh my goodness. And the fact that you would laugh about it, you know, because like, oh, that could have been us. <laughs> but we're here. We're alive. You know, um, I love it. I, I love everything about it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfection, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I love it, too. But the only thing I would say that I wish didn't happen was... uh just Hope Island itself blowing up because I would have loved for them to, to go back there in season two. Yeah, that'd have been cool. I will say this, though, about it blowing up is that I think they used this random thing very well in season two by implying that the government wanted to hide what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because think about it. It's kind of random that Hope Island blows up in season one. Like, why would it blow up? It's a shutdown, yes. But why would you blow the place up? Like, what would be the purpose? Why of that? would you need to? Yeah. Yes, why would you, you know? need to self-destruct this? Yeah. 
And it yeah. really suggests that what they were doing at Hope Island probably broke some laws. Like they weren't oh, yeah. supposed to be messing around with what they were doing over there. So they were prepared to hide it by any means necessary. That's pretty dark. And considering, mm. you know, what came out of it, you know, um, with the whole virus being man-made and killing half the planet. Yeah, probably illegal what they were working on. And um, then trying to find a cure for it, trying to fix what they broke and... I, I do like the fact that they use it later on. It's very intriguing. See, now I'm thinking. I'm thinking of a theory. <laughs> oh, share, share, share. <laughs> I was thinking, like maybe. Uh, see, now, I, now I just want to bring back like Danny's, Danny's dad from like season two. And what if he, like, obviously he created the virus, but what if he he created the virus and he knew what he did and he was like ashamed of it. Like he felt so bad to the point where now he's he went back to Hope Island to kind of make a cure, which he did, but he knew he couldn't get caught. So he had to cover his tracks. So he rigged it for anyone else to see what he was doing. It would explode. But in order to make the virus, he would go to, all the way to the uh, Eagle Mountain to do like his satellite stuff and whatever. And then he rigged that to explode too, so no one can co- so he can cover his tracks because all these government buildings are like. You know, they're rigged to explode if someone tampers with it. With it. So really, it was just Danny's father was an explosive yes. expert. Well, Damn is, you, Danny. Yeah, he is the cause root of literally everything that happened. So her father was the Seamus Finnegan of Tribe World? <laughs> yeah, could be possible. I mean... I mean, this is what I, I wish we got on the shows, because like, it, it's kind of alluded to that is bi- bioterrorism, but we never get... A clear answer in the show it's such a shame because yeah i love these scenes with hope island i think it comes out of it yeah it it really just raises so many questions but like like good questions though and yeah it is a shame that we didn't really get much answers to it if nothing else it does hint at a deeper world you know um oh, yeah. our characters only have exposure to so much of it and this definitely hints at more happening but it's like we're not really a part of it. And um, I mean, think of, I mean, it does make sense to me that Hope Island would explode. I mean, they had a minefield there for Pete's sake. They did not want people there. They didn't want anyone discovering what they were working on. So it was li- likely very, you know, under the table kind of stuff, you know, and they're willing to blow up trespassers. And the government would have likely covered that up, you know? And, um, of course, our heroes are just like, whoa, I don't know what we walked into, but I'm glad we're alive. <laughs> I'm glad we survived it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I felt like this, or these last two episodes of Hope Island really set up for them to, which they didn't, but it would have set up a really good, like, flashback, flashback episodes between, like, what really happened there. I don't think any of the tribe fans would have complained if we got like one or two episodes where there's literally no kids, no anything. And it's just like years ago at Hope Island. (laughs) If nothing else, it is a good button for all the tension. Like we spend all this time in Hope Island. From the moment they arrive, we don't know what these kids are walking into. And then there's a minefield and then there's an automatic shutdown and they're sucking the air out. And that's all... Oh man, your your adrenaline is kicking up, and even though they escape, you need a desolation of the tension. And I think the explosion is a great way 
to show what they just barely escaped. Like, oh, that's what all the danger was leading up to. But it also kind of cuts their their chance for answers. At It's like, that's it. That was your only chance to find any answers on Hope Island because we've destroyed it. It's a dead end as a story point. If this stuff that you found in Hope Island doesn't work, you can't go back there. You're going to have to find someplace else. And um, I, it's a really good, uh, I guess, like an a quest game. You know, I, I don't know what the terms are for a quest game, but it's like, no, you it, it makes it so that Hope Island doesn't continue being a go-to for them to keep trying to find answers. It's cut off. We found what we could there. Now we have to continue trying to find the answer someplace else. And I like that. Yeah, I like that too. Because you're just left like the heroes. Like, well, I hope this works because we don't know where to go next. <laughs> Lex. Jack tested this one. He says it's all right. Tested it? How? On a rat. Just a rat? Yeah, but the rat's all right. Lex isn't a rat, Ryan. I'm not taking it, Ryan. I've only got a cold. Come on, Lex. <coughs> I'm not ill. Yeah, but you could be. Ryan, don't say that. I mean, come on, Zane. You've got to make him. Just leave us alone, Ryan. Returning to the mall, Lex is pleased to hear that Tyson is ill, thinking that this is the perfect opportunity to test the supposed antidote. But she refuses and he rails at her selfishness. But when his tirade ends in a coughing fit, it's clear that he too is coming down with something. But he also refuses to take it. Yeah, panel, did it surprise you that Lex wouldn't take the antidote? And how did these scenes work in portraying their real world fears? I wasn't surprised that Lex wasn't willing to take the quote-unquote antidote. I refuse to call it that because it didn't <laughs> cure anything. Um, sorry. Uh, the prototype. <laughs> uh, because again, it's Lex. Lex isn't the, really the kind of guy to put himself on the line in this sort of circumstance. And who would want to take something if you have absolutely no idea what it is? I also felt like it was very in character because again, Lex, he's making a point. You know, none of them know if this stuff is safe and giving it to Tysan is a way of ensuring themselves it's safe and her refusing to take it is screwing everybody over, but it's Lex who's saying it. So it's kind of like, once again, the hypocrite is making a good point. So it kind of loses its righteousness. Um, so yeah, it, it just felt very in character. Like, of course, Lex would say that Tyson should have to do it. But then when it's on him to have to make that sacrifice, he's not willing to. And I guess that's pretty much Lex. <laughs> and it's also very human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very human. Very relatable. I'm trying to think if I was if I was in Lex, Lex's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing, mm -hmm. uh, especially from the fact that. Well, at this moment, you know, Lex doesn't have the virus, or at least he, he, he doesn't know. So. If I knew I didn't have the virus, there's no reason for me to take it. And then plus, it could not work and it might have like awful side effects. But Glenn coughed in his face. That's true. I well, I mean, I brought up a point that <sighs> it, it, if, if Tizen has it, the whole thing is airborne. <laughs> I mean. Then, then they all have it. I do think it's a very human reaction. I can't. Yeah. I can't, I can't honestly say that I would take some experimental drug I mean, if they came back and told me, we found the antidote, I'd be like, did it have a label on it? Where is it? I don't see. All I see is some crap in test tubes. And you want me to drink that? Are you crazy? 
you know, I don't even really like to take over the counter medicines. I'm not taking that, you know. Um, but then if it was my child, if my child was, I yeah. suspected my kid had the virus, would I try this experimental drug out on them? Like how desperate would I have to be to yeah. be willing to do it? And I don't think you can, you can't answer that question for someone else, you know. Um, so I don't blame Tysan for saying like, no. <laughs> It's not I'm not surprised answer. she said no either. Yeah, she was, she was never going to take it. No, <laughs> that was never going to happen. But I also don't blame Lex for not wanting to take it either. Because I'm not sure I would want to take it. I think I'd be terrified, you know, to take something. I have no idea what it is. These guys can't even tell me. They don't know what it is. They just found some test tubes. It wasn't even labeled, you guys. <laughs> it was just some test tubes. And they were like, maybe this is something. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. There's literally no reference to the virus. There was no label. Nothing. Anti-aging project. Nothing. Just some it's yellow just some drink. Point. Yeah, yellow drink. <laughs> Sugar, water, yellow. Like, that's all it is. I'm not drinking It could have been pee. How do they know that wasn't somebody's pee tubes? Exactly. I, so, I can't... I'm not blaming anybody for not wanting to take this. And, um... I'm also not blaming anybody for wanting someone else to take it. <laughs> I mean, again, it's, it's, you know, it's very in character for Lex to be hypocritical about it because that is what he does. Yep. But I'm not like, I'm not hating on him for it because I can't, I can't with all honesty say I wouldn't react the same way. Kind of. Yeah, I agree. And the more I think about this scene, it kind of makes me wonder to build more tension that, if uh glenn was still alive but he's like you know on his deathbed and you're yeah. like racing against time to like oh we gotta get it to him before he dies and then he just dies before he gets to test it out and they're like oh we don't know if it works tyzan now you have to <laughs> you have to drink it that would have been very interesting if glenn was still alive when they brought it back because I do wonder if the tribe would have forced Glenn to take it. Yeah, I wonder that too. And I wonder if Glenn would have agreed to take it, even if he didn't want to, just because... No, he would have took it. He would have. Especially for Zandra, yeah. Just to, but that moment of accepting that you're someone's guinea pig. Like, you have no reason to believe this work, but you're like, fine, you know, I'm going to die anyway. So if this can help you in some way, I'll yeah. take it. I could see him doing it for Zandra. You can't deny that would have been really dark. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like the whole tribe kind of ganging up on a dying person and say, here, take what could essentially be poison. <laughs> You're dying anyway. <laughs> we don't know what it is, but it could taste good. Yeah. <laughs> it could taste good. <laughs> it might be Mountain Dew. Just try it. Oh, but I suppose we'll be robbed of the good scene later on with Ebony feeding Lex the test vials. <laughs> that was poetic justice because that was. <laughs> yes. Tyson. Yes. And, and the others were like, back off Lex, you're not forcing her to take anything. <laughs> and then he got to see what it was like to be forced to swallow this stuff. Wouldn't, okay, you guys, wouldn't it be something crazy if that was not the way you're supposed to take this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> That's you're yeah. just assuming you're supposed to drink it. <laughs> Oh, like it may not be digestible at all. It might have been something that had to be injected. Right. Funny. 
<laughs> it's an like antidote. They, you gotta drink an antidote. They found the cure, but they took it wrong, so it didn't work. <laughs> Maybe that's why it didn't cure the adults. <laughs> Maybe they did it incorrectly. It did it incorrectly. There are dosage rules, you people. <laughs> I was going to say, it could have been anything like one meal twice a day for like a week or anything. Like, you're downing it. <laughs> it's not working. No clue. And yeah. what about the yeah. weight wise? How do they know? The one oh, person mm. it cured, he jumped off a cliff before he found out it worked. I was so incredibly jealous. Because everyone liked him so much? No. Because you did. I should have told you a long time ago, Amber. Mm, what about Trudy and Celine? Yeah, but I wasn't honest with him, and I'm not proud of that. But I just wanted you to know. It was never hard for me coming back. These are two our final thoughts of the episode. With the virus seemingly spreading amongst them, Bray and Amber reflect on how the mall and its initial refuge might soon be their tomb. Each feels guilty for being the reason the other is still at the mall, and they finally admit their feelings to each other and share a kiss. Um, yeah, panel, what did you think? Uh, it's my, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, at first I'm sitting there, and then, like, Bray asks her for a sip of her drink, and I'm like, who does that? <laughs> who sits down with someone and goes, can I have a sip? Like, I don't get that. And then things happened, and I felt all fluffy inside, you know? Good times. Bray, Bray and Amber definitely have uh, chemistry. Mm. And it definitely seems like the show wants them to to be together. It, it does. It's destiny. Yeah, destiny. Writers, <laughs> writers, destiny. <laughs> I was just so excited. I was like, finally. After forty-two episodes. After forty-two <laughs> long, long episodes. I was thinking of um, Amber's eyes. <laughs> I love her bedroom eyes. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Bray, if you don't kiss her, I yes. will. <laughs> oh, me too. I do think it was a little weird how previously he asked her if she was missing Sasha. And now all of a sudden they're sitting, he's sipping on her cocoa. <laughs> and she's kissing eyelashes off his lips. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like a mood kill. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I do feel it's well earned, though. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. You um, know I'm excited, so. It's really beautifully, it's really well shot. It's so gorgeous and it's got a dreamy, ethereal feel to it. And uh, I mean, again, the way Beth is looking at him, I'm like, right, right, <laughs> boy, come on. There it is. That is an invitation with a red ribbon on it. Go yes. for it. Let's go. That's the one. I love how she takes pity on him too. You know, like she's given him all the green lights and even he he's still like, I don't I don't I don't have enough experience with girls. I don't know if I should go for it. She's like, Oh, come here. Come here. Let me I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. Let me help you. I'm starting to understand that you're not as worldly as I thought you were. Right. Come here, baby boy. Come here. I mean Ebony took charge, you know. Yeah. You know, and I, I love it. A look of like sheer affection mm -hmm. on her face. It's like she finally mm. gets him. Do you think um, 
her experience with Sasha has enabled Amber to be more proactive, or do you think she was always like this? Because it's hard to tell. I do think Sasha might have played a part in it. I do. Uh huh. She was not willing to make this kind of leap with Bray before. Mm. No. She you could tell so by the way weird. she looked at him that she wanted to. She wanted him to like her, but no, she wouldn't have made that move. You know what I think it is? She, okay, Amber's biggest fear was getting hurt. It came up again and again and again. You know, when people would ask her, what about love, Amber, you know, Bray, Tyson, Trudy? A lot of people brought that up to her. Like, what about love, Amber? And she would say, and get hurt and get hurt. It's very mm-hmm. clear that was very important to her. And then what happened? Amber let herself go. She fell for a boy. She got hurt. And guess what? She survived. survived. She's yep. okay. And it wasn't the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. And I do think that plays a part in her going for Bray. Like, yes, she got her heart broken with, you know, Sasha. It sucked. But she's still here. She is still breathing. And she still has these beautiful memories that of what she shared with him. And sometimes that's worth it. And so I do think it played an important part for her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh... Uh, an important part. Um, I was also really impressed with this scene cinematography. I thought this is probably one of the best looking, uh, best looking scenes in season one. Isn't it gorgeous? A blue tint. <laughs> and, this cute yeah, stop it, cameraman, putting me into a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a great scene. Uh, these two characters finally getting together. The staging, the color. Um, what they say is, yeah, it's just a fantastic moment. And it's, I think it's made even more iconic because of obviously uh, Amber's hairstyle. Um, which, speaking of which, I know Khan isn't a massive fan of the Zulu lots. Um, what, yeah, Panna, what do you think of her hairstyle in general? I, I like her hair. I don't. I think she looks. I, I think if she didn't have that hairstyle, then, you know, it would be weird who she is. It's like Ebony and her braids, you know? Yeah, I do. I kind of feel bad for some of the characters because if they have such an iconic look like that, they're not allowed to try anything different. Yeah. So I do feel like this was a great look for Amber in season one, but the fact that she's still wearing it when we see her again in season three turns it into a caricature rather than a natural evolution of the way she would wear her hair. And they, they fall into the same trap with Ebony. So in her defense... That is how the actress preferred to wear yes. her hair. Um, yeah. But I still feel like she ended up in the same trap of not ever being able to do anything different with it. It's yeah. like, oh, she's got that signature. Yeah. You know, that's, that's Ebony's hair. You can't change it. And even when her sisters joined the show, they were forced to wear their hair that way, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Lex and his hair, too. But Lex was at least able to do things with his hair. Yeah, so it wasn't was able to just experiment. down. Yeah, you know, you could put feathers in it, put half of it up, you know, whatever he wanted to do. He but could do a season with his hair and dreadlocks. If he and then it disappeared. I don't know how it disappeared, but it did within minutes. And went back to normal. I do feel like for season one, the Zulanauts work brilliantly for Amber. Um, but I do think when we met her back on Eagle Mountain, maybe we should have had a different hairstyle. Because now they can't change it. And she's stuck that way forever. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So even when it's no longer suited for her personality or where she is in her life, she's stuck wearing her hair that way. And um, it, it went from being an iconic look that suited the character for the time and where she was to a character culture of the character, you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I think um, 
I still think the best, like, well, I think Ebony has the best hairstyle, but I really like how Celine kind of transformed <laughs> throughout the series with her hairstyles. Well, she had the freedom to allow her hair to age. What? <laughs> That's why I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm like, which season are we speaking of? Well, I'm talking about, like, from season one, when you look at her, when you look at her, you're like, oh, Celine, yes. Celine has some hideous hairstyles. <laughs> Poor Celine. I, mm. yeah, so, she's... also, none of Celine's hairstyles become iconic. No. So no, 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 no. So much they don't become it. iconic, but they match her personality and what, uh, what confidence she's, she's, yeah, what she's going through and what confidence level she, she's at. Like okay, season... Carlin. Okay. <laughs> what about the lion hair? Ah, uh, yeah, but that was in season one. She didn't, you know. What about that wind tunnel hairdo? <laughs> I, that, I can't. I don't even want to think about it. Like, yeah, yeah. Her hairstyle season one was do, bad. She also tries to do Zulanots in season two, and she's not able to pull them off. When did she do that? I, I don't remember that. She doesn't. It's like. It's like for one episode, they put Celine in Zulu knots. Oh, it does not work. I don't work. remember that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find this now. Um, look for the episode where she's preparing to be a teacher, and um, she's like doing no. She's like she's checking. She's working on her like her skills. I remember now, and, and they barely go hair, in. Yeah, they're barely Zulu knots, and it's like with bobby pins sticking through. Them. Yes, yes, yes. yes <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> Explain those hairdos, Carlin. <laughs> no, I still. Well, I like the hair she had when they went to the Ecos, like after Pride and all that. You know, like when she's got oh, the, yeah. long, the long green coat and her hair is a little longer, but it's straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that that hairstyle. Yeah, Celine. Yeah, after season one, Celine had good hairstyles. It was Chloe and Patsy that had the worst hairstyles. Ooh, poor Chloe. Yeah. Every time I see her in season one, I'm like, just give me some scissors. Yeah. Just give me some scissors. I'll that little bitty. I'll cut it off, and nobody will know. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that in this episode. Um, that little unkempt, that one yes. little strand, that little that's rat tail. in the hair that's in the little ponytail. Which, yeah, I think it's really <sighs> definitely a part of Chloe's personality. I know it is. I know it is, and that's why I'm like, I know they keep it's there for a reason. But as a mother, I'm like, just give me some scissors. It's actually quite. It. It's quite super cute. I do like. It. <laughs> very. It's very suiting. You know, Chloe. I wish they could have cut Trudy's bangs a little straighter. I, again, that's an iconic expression of. I know, but it's yeah. like, why, why? Even if like they were, they were supposed to have chosen these hairstyles after the world collapsed. Why would she choose to butcher her bangs? She did her own bangs. That's what happens to all of us. <laughs> That's why they tell you to cut my own bangs. <laughs> you know, when Patsy's emulating her, she does the same style. She cuts her bangs on a slant, you know. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah, she does. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> okay, so yeah, final thoughts on the Bramber scene. I see I just I love that moment. I really do. I'm not a Bramber. Me but too. I think I yelled loudly when it happened. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's so well handled. And it, whether or not you're a Bramber, you can't deny they earned this moment. It took yes. a long time to get there in such a beautiful way. And I'm like, have it. It's such a great scene, the two of them kissing. 
and the chemistry between them. Hey, but but you know what? I think I think it was a great scene, and I think Bray and Amber they have even better scenes than that in the future together. Oh, they do. They do. But I but I still think that the scenes with Bray and Ebony are so much better. <sighs> Don't get me started on them. Fire. <laughs> No, I can't. Let's not go there. I got my own. Oh, poor Maggie. (laughs) That breaks two of my hearts, okay? Um, I was really hoping. I was really hoping they would be together. (laughs) He always wanted to get it on with Ebony, honey. Just accept it. Hey, I got a a fanfic on uh, Tribe Revival of them together. Don't you worry. I know. He was. He never forgot how good that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in my fanfic, he didn't either. We'll just leave it at that. Ebony gave him the kind of sex that made half his body go numb. <laughs> <laughs> oh. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> that brings episode forty-three to a close. Thank you very much to the panel, and we'll see you next time for episode forty-four. So until then, bye. 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 Bye.